Welcome to the Tech in Shanghai podcast, the Pearl of the Orient. Shanghai is the city of the future. All systems go full steam ahead. It never stops. Technology, innovation, ambition. It's everywhere. Join us as we explore this new world and talk to the people making it happen. The Tech in Shanghai podcast. The future is now. We're back, people. Tech in Shanghai podcast. I'm your host, John Vallis, and this is the show that brings you everything tech and startup from the great city of Shanghai. Last weekend or last week, we had uh, Tony Gu. Tony is uh, the organizer of Drink Entrepreneurs, um, a great initiative here that's trying to bring people together in the community,、um, kind of innovate the infrastructure, bring the foreign community, bring the Chinese local community together, and try to see what can come of that. So, if you're interested in learning more about that, check out last week's episode. But today we have a very special episode. First time we've had three people in the studio. We've got、uh, Todd Embley here, a good buddy of mine, who's going to serve as kind of co-host and interesting guest. And we've got Michael Young of Agata, who is a recent graduate of the China Accelerator Accelerator Program. So before we get too much into this,、uh, Todd, I was going to see if you wanted to break down China Accelerator. And give us kind of an umbrella what we're going to be talking about. So I know how much you love talking about what China Accelerator does. So why don't you hit us with the five-minute version? Okay, the five-minute version.、Uh, well, China Accelerator is a、uh, an accelerator program based on the TechStars model.、Uh, we are part of the Global Accelerator Network, and it is uh, the first uh, seed-funded, mentorship-driven accelerator program in China. We started the the first batch kicked off September first, two thousand ten. Uh, we uh, just finished batch five, as we'll find out.、Uh, we are、uh, accepting applications right away into batch six now. We recently relocated from Dalian down to Shanghai,、mm -hmm. um, which was a great move.、Uh, it's been awesome down here, and I'm very excited to help uh, continue uh, promoting the entrepreneurship community and helping raise the level of the water here in Shanghai. Uh, it was founded by、uh, Cyril Eberswiler and is backed by SOS Ventures,、uh, which is a USD fund from back in America.、Um, I think,、uh, and I'm hoping a lot of the people that、uh, are listening are probably at least interested enough in tech and, and the entrepreneurship world to understand what an accelerator program is. So, right.、Um, you know, heavily, heavily based on the mentorship part. So、um, we try not to go too heavy on the cash.、Uh, give people enough money to to live and to to grow their business.、Uh, do some outsourcing, some marketing, some hiring, whatever they need to do.、Mm -hmm. But. Most of it is built off of the the mentorship,、uh, and we have an amazing、um, group of of eighty five mentors strong.、Um, most of them listed on our website. Great partnerships with People Squared, CBI China Bridge, which is kind of the IDO、um, for China.、Uh, for those who don't know it. Uh, Angel Vest, which is a group of angels,、uh, 85 strong as well,、um, who are all interested in investing in China and Asia at large, as well as Silicon Valley Bank and Cooley LLP. So,、uh, with those five、uh, pillars of support,、uh, plus、um, our all our mentors of, of, of famous、uh, entrepreneurs and, and, and VCs and angels from around China,、um, we just have an amazing network. That can help any company,、um, you know, big or small.、Um, you've got a beta, you got a product, you don't. You've just got an amazing team, whatever it is.、Uh, apply to the program. We can help accelerate you to success. Cool. And actually, last week on the show, we were talking with Tony. Tony was also there at the demo day. I guess almost two weeks ago now. Two weeks ago, exactly. Right. So, I mean, it was a great event, huge turnout. I'm sure you guys had to turn away some people.、Hmm. And this was the first time you opened it up to the public, right? Yeah.、Um, 
That was a that was a, a, a bit of a change, a bit of a shift. Um, typically, it's just for investors or mm -hmm. media, but now that we're in Shanghai, we really want to play a bigger part in growing the entrepreneur community here. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, part of that drove the decision to open it up to allow those that are already involved in the entrepreneurship community, um, people who are involved with uh, different uh, organizations like Drinks Entrepreneur or the Techie Zoo and Transist and uh, Startup Weekend, Lean Startup Machine, Bar Camps, all, all the people who have been struggling to try and build this great community for, you know, in which we can all uh, enjoy and, and, uh, and grow. Uh, we wanted to invite all of them to come as well. And, mm -hmm. and kind of it's, it's just a big celebration of entrepreneurship. Uh, we had a lot of, uh, a lot of people show up as you said it was the lineup was down the block and around the corner uh which was really cool to see there was great energy in the room yeah. um you know everybody put on a great show um I, i was really proud of all the teams how hard they worked the great pitches they put on and you know what again we hope that we raised the level of water raised the awareness mm -hmm. and uh got everybody in excited and inspired and, and really helped the shanghai scene just grow even more yeah and i think you probably you definitely accomplished that but i'm just interested in knowing the difference i mean you've done some of these demo days in dalian right and mm -hmm. i think you did one in beijing as well we've done we've done them all in beijing all in before. beijing okay yeah. And how does the uh, the energy and vibe differ when you have only people directly involved and VCs and, and angels versus those people plus the the public and the community? It seemed like a lot of fun this this demo. Day. Yeah, and that's kind of the first thing that comes to mind right. uh, is that it's it seems a lot more serious. Um, there's there's not as much fun electric atmosphere in the room. Um, it and and then I think the the entrepreneurs and the founders feel that mm -hmm. when they're on on stage they might be a little more rigid right uh but in this case no they were they were pretty loose they were having some good fun they were engaging the crowd there was a lot of you know cheers and and clapping and and uh support just you know echoing around the room while they were pitching uh you know it just it just had a, a greater vibe so i think overall It's definitely something we're going to keep doing. We're going to do this every time going forward. I just I, there's no way that you can replace that. It, and I I don't want to go back to the old model that right. just seemed a little stuffier. Yeah. You know, everybody's we're pitching for money, and then the on the other side, the people sitting there, they have money and they're being very critical. Um, and it, uh, it it just wasn't as much fun. Yeah. And really, entrepreneurship is just about having fun. Sure. And I can see this event being much bigger even the next time you do it. So the end of the next batch. I mean. You could barely, I mean, there, everyone was standing up in the back. There was no room for people to sit. So I think mm -hmm. next time you guys might have to do a bigger venue or, or something. I hope so. Because it's going to be big. I hope yeah. so. Uh, I thought everybody, uh, I, everybody I've talked to had a great time. Had a great they time. really enjoyed it and learned something. And it was great networking. And uh, we hope that we actually showed a lot of people how to pitch properly. Right. Uh, more, you know, Silicon Valley style sure. of, of really what's expected and how to, how to put on a show properly here. Mm -hmm. um, so doing our part to, you know, contribute and give back to the community and, and uh, uh, you know, help make it better. Yeah, which is great. That's what we're doing with the show. And that's what yeah, more exactly. people need to be doing to, to cultivate something here. Because Shanghai has something special for sure. And there's special mm -hmm. people here. We just need to bring it all together. True. Now, I'll come back to that later because I want to get more into the kind of the ins and outs of the program and, and the recent graduates. Sure. But obviously, Michael just came out of the program, gave, in my opinion, the, the best uh, presentation of the demo day. It was on point. It was clear. Um, and he represented his company amazingly, I thought. Uh, so, Michael, why don't you uh, let our listeners know first, you know, a little bit about yourself and Agata, and then we can get the ball rolling with uh, how the whole 
participant, director, accelerator program kind of worked out for the both of you? All right, I'll do my best here. Um, you can't see me. I'm, I'm actually Chinese-American. Uh, I've been in Shanghai for about a year, and prior to this, I was a U.S. diplomat for 10 years. And I, you know, served in about four or five different countries, um, prior U.S. Army as well, and just decided to come to Shanghai because I've been doing the whole big government corporate type of thing so long that I wanted to control my life back. So I decided to come to Shanghai and explore opportunities here. Mm -hmm. um, so Agata, why Agata? Originally, the idea was to create an online marketplace for international medical services so that no matter where you were in the world, third world country or China, and you were looking for the best doctor, you could get on this website and find that person. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to start with China because originally and still my mother is a uh, Mandarin Chinese translator in the San Francisco Bay Area, tra translating for patients in UC at UCSF, Stanford University Hospital, and so on and so forth. And she said to me, Michael, there are tons of Chinese coming to America for medical treatment. They all have a ton of cash. They don't really speak English, and they don't really understand the U.S. medical system. Why don't we actually go to the source and find these people and build a business that way? So I ended up in China, in Shanghai. Uh, we built out the website. We built the copy uh, in, in two different languages. And then ran, ran into the problem of actually how do, you, how do you convince these patients this is the best product for them? And so I kind of put the brakes on the business for a little bit, didn't know how to go about it. And then I discovered China Accelerator, and I thought, wow. This is a great opportunity mm -hmm. to put down roots in China, get into the tech community, learn how to do this outreach, get support from the advisor network and from the other teams that are going to be there mm -hmm. just so we can share best lessons learned, uh, best practices. Um, and to solve the problem of marketing for American healthcare providers looking for Chinese patients. So that was the genesis, the seed of Agata. Mm -hmm. And that's that's we got accepted on that idea. Uh, we got in, and then we had to pivot, actually, a couple times. Mm -hmm. um, so what's the, the current incarnation of Agata? The current incarnation, instead of actually getting Chinese patients to physically visit America, we're looking at the second opinion market, meaning instead of having Chinese physically fly, using technology to gather their information in China, cancer patients, actually, in China, who don't, who've already gone through a number of healthcare providers they need additional information. They don't know what to do with their sickness. We'll take their information, send it to specialists in, the, in America, handle the translation as well as the interpretation, provide the information back to the Chinese patient so they can make better informed decisions going forward. Okay. And since, you know, since your great presentation on Demo Day, what's, you know, have you taken a breather? Are you taking a step away from a bit just to get your breath? Because I know that the Accelerator program can be quite uh, taxing. Um, and has any have any good conversations resulted from the program? And uh, where do you where do you kind of see it moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it was an intense ninety days. It was almost like being in boot camp. You know, mm -hmm. I, you know, I did boot camp back in Fort Sill, and afterwards, you just need about a week or two to to kind of unplug and veg out and just be a couch potato for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but we're definitely you know back at the uh, you know back at the workstation here to to drive this thing forward. Right. Cool. So a lot of people listening, like I said earlier, they're going to be you know, entrepreneurs potentially with a good idea, a great team, you know, maybe they want to come to China and, and execute, uh, you know, their dreams. What, you know, we've got someone who sifts through thousands or hundreds, if not thousands of applications before these programs, and someone who's actually applied to one. Um, first, Mike, I mean, what, when you applied to the program, how did you determine what you should include in your application, uh, apart from, of course, you know, what they stipulate on, on the China Accelerator website, but, you know, what, did you think would set you apart? How did you go about that process? 
Um, I had a couple conversations with the folks in Shanghai who were involved in the tech community, and that actually was a huge help. Mm-hmm. Just to have someone to talk to, someone who had already been on the ground for uh, a number of years. Um, but you know, beyond that, you just kind of have to be yourself. I mean, you kind of can't you kind of can't be your way through this. I think right. Todd's got a pretty sharp eye for that. So, you know, you got to be who you are and just get some information from the folks who are on the ground to help inform how you put yourself forward. Right. And when you did apply, were you kind of thinking? I've got this idea. I've I put a bit of work into it, but I need structure around it. I need contacts. I need mentorship. I need you know a lot more things to put on it. An accelerator program would be ideal because it'll give you that in spades in a very short period of time. Absolutely. I mean, I was you know don't forget I was in government for the past ten years, mm-hmm. and in in my previous employ- employment, I couldn't talk to anyone about entrepreneurship. They thought I was crazy for wanting to leave my my right. know, cushy government government job. Sure. Um, but China Accelerator was exactly that vehicle that I needed. I needed that it was a support network. It was the mentorship, the information, it was the funds and the office space. It was the environment I needed to be in in order to to get to that next level. Right. And how how instrumental or how much does it impact you as a as an entrepreneur and a founder? Uh, how much does it impact you to have all those different people, you know, in your environment, other founders, other entrepreneurs working day in and out on day in and day out on their own projects? Does that I mean, does it distract you? Is it a supportive uh, sort of atmosphere of environment? What's it like? I, I think it's all it's everything at the same time. Um, you, you have to be in the environment. If you if you look at where you want to be at, you've got to put yourself into that environment. Mm-hmm. And if there are distractions there, you got to learn how to deal with it because they're going to be there anyways. Um, it's the new world, and you, you just got to be there and just kind of work your way through it. Mm-hmm. So, Cool. And Todd, for you, I mean, you're the one who looks at all these applications, I guess, with, with some, some other people on your team and, and behind the Accelerator program. First of all, for this last batch in particular, roughly how many did you get, just so the audience can know kind of what they're up against? And what are you looking for specifically both, you know, in print, you say you have to include this, 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 and this. But also, when you're looking at it, you say, "Yeah, that one's crap. This one, I'm going to look further into." What, you know, what are you really looking for, and how do you make that selection? All right. Well, we probably saw. I talked to, went through, read about 200 applications um, from varying sources. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking for team first. Um, you know the. Uh, the, the the road is long and it is hard mm-hmm. and it is it is wrought with uh, with pitfalls um, and you know there's it, it takes a special kind of person to be able to persevere uh, and and go the distance and um, not even the type of person but even the the relationship uh, the team uh, you know is 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 so so important. So we look for things like the unfair advantage, which is experience, knowledge, um, expertise in the industry uh, or the tech side. Um, just just those who really understand the pain point. Um, we look for the passion. Um, people who, you know, Michael has a very, I'll call it an easy path to the passion because why he was doing this was very personal uh, to him. And, and that is, is really something that you can latch on to. Uh, and Accelerator is kind of an investor because we're investing into each of these startups. So we're looking at it as a potential investment mm-hmm. uh, because if we're going to sink some money and a heck of a lot of time and effort and resources in putting our name, not, not only personally, but our brand name onto you, um, 
you know, this is this is this is very important for us. So uh, there's a lot of makeup. Then there's the skills, uh, just as as far as like a tech skills, business mm-hmm. development skills, knowledge, network. Um, there's an understanding of entrepreneurship that I try to dig into a little bit. It uh, tells me how far or not so far that the. the the team is going to have to go and in, in actually understanding the entrepreneurship world because if you're entering it for the first time, it can be difficult. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things that you need to learn. Uh, if you're up to speed, if you're listening to podcasts such as Tech in Shanghai uh, or if you've, if you've read other books that are very important in, in entrepreneurship or you follow certain people on Twitter or you, you, you just kind of speak the lingo and you get it and you, you attend different events, whether it's Startup Grind or Startup Weekend or you know things like this, and you're just kind of actively participating in the community as well, that's, that's a great sign. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's a little bit less work that I have to do on my end um, at some point. Uh, then it is about the solution. Um, and we, we call it a solution more than an idea because ideas are a dime a dozen. I think I already had, t- you know, 10 or 12 good ideas this morning. Um, so, you know, they, they come and go very, very easily. Mm-hmm. And everybody's always got an idea. But, I mean, shit, it comes down to execution and, right. and hard work. And, um, and then, you know, we look at the space, uh, the potential. Uh, are, you, are you trying to, to grab market share? Are you going into a niche part of an existing market? Are you actually creating an entirely new market? Mm-hmm. Um, so what is the opportunity that's there? So we got the people, we got the opportunity, and then we look at the path. Um, and how do you propose to do what you want to do? And, right. and so, you know, we, we, we say we're looking for pop. We're looking for people, opportunity, and, and then the path. And if, if, if we see with our, you know, um, more experience and, and our knowledge of, of the various spaces and, and, and how, how things are going to go, because, you know, we've been through it, we've seen it a hundred times. Uh, if, if we believe that um, all the possibilities are there, that uh, barriers to entry, you know, aren't so bad, but then you have some good defensibility of what you're going to do, plus you're the right people to be doing it, and you're doing it for the right reasons. You know, you're not being an entrepreneur because mm-hmm. you want to be rich or because I don't like working for other people. I want to be my own boss right. or, you know, I, I want to wear flip-flops and, and, and drink lattes and bring my dog to the office or whatever the hell it is that is driving you to want to be an entrepreneur. You've right. got to be doing it for the right you, – you are, you are an entrepreneur because you have to be mm-hmm. because you can't live another day without solving this problem mm-hmm. that exists. Um, you just absolutely – you just have to do something about it. And so you're going to quit your job. You're going to go out and try and create the solution uh, to a pain point that you have experienced, you know, that you have lived with, uh, and you're just going to go out and solve that problem come hell or high water. Uh, and, and, you know, that's, that's what we can get behind. There's a lot of the other stuff that we can do mm-hmm. to help make you successful. We'll give you money. We'll give you support, financial services, legal services, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. What we need from you is a passion to solve a solution that we believe has a scalable potential globally. Right. And you make a good point because Mike and I were talking before you came in about, uh, you know, the startup community is growing so quickly. And obviously there's a lot of legitimate people engaging in the community because they want to, you know, be a part of it. They want to engage in startups. They want to solve these problems. But it, it's become a really sexy industry to be in. Yeah. You know, the, the start, like you mentioned, you bring your dog to the office, you wear it's flip-flops, trendy. you do all this kind of – exactly. And what I think people amidst the 
you know, the uh, media, the, the tech news where you hear so-and-so got a Series B funding round of $50 million. Amidst all that, which is really jazzes you up, makes you excited, excited and say, oh, if I, I got this idea. I got this great team. Let's go make it happen. It kind of gets lost that a lot of the, the best companies around and the, the companies that you now see as successful, they've been doing this for about 10 years. Yeah. You know, and they've been putting every ounce of capital, time, energy, emotion, blood, sweat, and tears into these things to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of one of those things that doesn't seem like it's for the faint of heart, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, 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 I mean, China is a very different animal than, than, than the Valley. But, you know, in America uh, or in Europe, you know, they've been doing this for, for quite a bit longer. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and we actually have some data that we can now pull. So uh, there was a new a new fund that was that was started uh, called Cowboy Ventures. Uh, I believe it was out of Texas, and so they took the data from 2003 2013. So you had like Crunchbase and and things like AngelList and stuff like this that have all come up. So there was a lot of data there that they could finally crunch ten years worth of numbers. And some interesting things that came out of it were um, the average the average age of a company that experiences a liquidity event which is either going IPO or getting acquired, mm -hmm. basically where founders and investors finally end up getting paid. Right. Um, the average age is, is just a hair over seven years old. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's a little bit surprising for a lot of people. Like, holy crap, Like, it's going to take seven years for me to actually you know, be able to get paid on what I'm doing. And then you think about, okay, well, how much, you know, it's like going to, going to, you, know, my, you could pay to go to school and be a doctor. Right. right? What's you the know, opportunity like, cost yeah, while you're doing yeah, it? Yeah. What's the ROI on, on this time that I'm going to spend and put into this? Right. Uh, I could go maybe make a hundred thousand dollars a year for seven years, or I could go and make probably close to nothing right. and just survive for seven years, but then potentially have a big payday. Um, it's not as financially viable as a lot of people think. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, take that part of the sexy away from it. Um, the end, the other one was um, the age of founders that were starting the companies that were more successful. And the average age uh, was a was was just over 30 years old. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it's a bit of a, a, a misnomer to think that people are... are In their early 20s. Yeah, I'm yeah. 22 years old and came out, you know, I'm Mark Zuckerberg right. or, or something that came out with this great idea. No, I mean, you, you know, the 30-year-olds are actually the ones that have the life experience and the knowledge um, and, and the, you know, the core competencies, the unfair advantage to be able to do something successful. Right. Uh, and uh, the other one that was a little bit surprising is better performing startups are actually non-tech. But everybody only focuses and talks about tech because that's what's sexy. And I think in your daily lives, using your phone, your iPad or whatever, and apps and all this kind of, you know, that's more relevant to you potentially mm -hmm. than, you know, the, the, you know, the local gourmet foodie truck that's rolling around. Um, that's actually making way more money than any of these apps or games that are being developed. Right. But, um, but it's probably about the lure of the scalability of the tech market, right? Because you start up a Mr. Wiener's on the corner and they might be great dogs and people love it at a, after a night of drinking. Mm hmm but you can't really scale that or you can't really scale it too quickly. Whereas I think part of the sexiness, the attractiveness of the tech market is obviously you could, if, if you really hit your stride, then within however long period of time, you could have tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people engaging in your product, improving their lives in some way. And also the financial rewards that come with accessing such a massive market, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's more of a moonshot, but, right. uh, you know, if you're willing to go for it. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Definitely more, more the, the exception than, than the rule, right? Sure. You know, it's sure. not everyone can be Google or Twitter. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think Mike, you can, you can speak on this a bit, but before you get going in pursuing a startup dream, like you, like you're currently doing, do you get these warning shots, like from family members, from other people in the business community, from government, you know, from your colleagues? Are they like, hey, Mike, 
don't do it, man. It's there's too much failure. It's too much work. There's not enough money. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it took me it took me honestly three years to get to the point where I personally felt comfortable enough walking away from my salary and with family and friends and colleagues thinking that I was absolutely crazy. Right. And to this day, they still ask, well, when are you coming back? Right. Uh, and I say, well, I'm not. And they, they don't quite get it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, definitely not, not an easy thing to do. Now, Todd mentioned something, you know, when he's looking at applications or when the team is looking at applications, obviously, you know, dedication, a reason why you're going to stick this out and make it a success is, is primary among the things that they're considering and they're looking at when they're vetting all these applicants. If I can, I mean, if you're comfortable with it, I'm, during your presentation, you just you illustrated beautifully and, and very impactfully to the audience why this is an important venture for you. And, and so from a from a presentation perspective, I mean, and I think it's something that, you know, maybe a lot of people doing presentations f- overlook the importance of. But you showed the audience and in particularly and most importantly, the investors why you are going to stick this out, why it doesn't matter how many iterations you have to go through, how many pivots. It's something that, you know, is very, very, very important to you and is a huge problem in your life. And if it's something that you can fix, then, you know, a lot of people, including your own family, will be better off. So do you mind talking about why you're so, you know, into it, just so passionate about it? Yeah, I mean, um, well, the, the, the name of the game is to stay alive, right? Stay alive and quality of life and be healthy as right. long as you possibly can. Uh, out of my four grandparents, three got cancer, uh, two with leukemia, one with liver cancer. My father just got diagnosed with uh, leukemia a couple months ago. My mother happens to be a Mandarin uh, translator for hospitals in the Bay Area. Um, and it looks like my chances of getting cancer given genetics are actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided to, to tackle this problem. And the more that I got into it, the more fascinating this issue became. Um, and it, it really has a lot of visceral meaning for me because it's about saving lives. And it's something that has to, that has to do with my family and potentially for me. So in a way, I'm kind of creating my own solution that I to a problem that I might I might have coming up. Mm-hmm. And what you know, again, that's that's the reason why you're so committed to it. But just to focus a little more on Agata, I mean, what has the both the response in the market, you know, to your target market been, and also, I mean, healthcare is such a highly regulated industry everywhere you go. Can you just give us a bit of example of some of those hurdles that you might have encountered or had to cross in executing, you know, this solution that benefits your family and, and countless others? Yeah, uh, you know, huge hurdle, huge cultural barrier. If we just if we look just at China and the United States, um, you know, hospitals in the first tier cities, uh, we say, you know, Beijing, uh, in Beijing, Shanghai and Guangzhou, overwhelmed with patients that are streaming into the cities looking for quality health care mm-hmm. and a system that's unable to provide that service because honestly, the government has regulated the prices the prices the healthcare prices have to be low and they're not reimbursing the hospitals so doctors are under tremendous stress to service this population we have expertise available in america that could solve a lot of these problems but there's such a huge cultural barrier between the two countries that providing that service ends up being very very customized you really have to understand kind of the local uh, patient and con- consumer behavior mm. and at the same time you have to educate the ex- the experts and the suppliers in america that when you provide the service, you can't provide it like you're provi- providing it to an American or a Westerner. It's got to be done for a local Chinese person. Right. So we're, we're working through that patient journey and supplier journey to see how we can make that mesh. And I noticed from your website, I mean, you're working with 
top-notch hospitals in the in the U.S. You've got Johns Hopkins, the Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic. I mean, when you establish relationships with these guys, how, how, what's that process like? I mean, how, and, and how enthusiastic are they for for a service like Agata's? Yeah, well, in full disclosure, we we did reach out to them. Um, we featured them on our site, and we're going to be in the process of contacting them mm-hmm. about about this opportunity. Um, but the conversations I've had with Western doctors and in in the states, as well as ones who have actually been here in China, it's actually very difficult for them to provide the services they, they typically do to a Chinese patient. Mm. One example I give is a Chinese patient coming into a, a Western-style cancer clinic in Shanghai uh, and being told that that patient, he needs to take four weeks of chemo in order for him to finish his treatment. He comes into the second week, he takes his, his chemotherapy and he says, you know what, I feel great, I'm leaving. And the doctor says, actually, no, you're not done. You need to finish this. And, well, and the, the patient says, well, why should I pay you extra money if I feel good already? And actually never comes back. Mm-hmm. So you, you kind of can't force the patient to adhere to your, your treatment methods, even though you know it's you know, tried and true. Mm-hmm. So how do you, as a Western doctor, how do you, you, know, how do you, how do you deal with that? Right. You know, what are your expectations? Yeah, big, big cultural differences in, in, in the service like this that you have to encounter. Have you guys piloted any um, you know, people engaging in this service yet? And if so, what has the outcome been? Um, yeah, we've dealt with a number of patients in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, they typically, they, they don't like paying for information. They like the free consultation. Mm-hmm. And once they get the free consultation, they tend not to come back. Or they tend to try to get additional free services, uh, so that that kind of payment gateway and that patient management gateway is going to be pretty, be pretty critical for us right. to figure out. And is it primarily a, like a higher end luxury market that you guys are targeting? Um, obviously, just based on the costs that are yeah, associated with everything. I mean, you know, the, the mission is to help people. Period. Right. Um, unfortunately, in that segment of the market, it's going to have to be people who have the ability to cover the cost of the treatment. Uh, right. So. That, that is what we're looking at at the moment. And how do you get at your market? You know, because and let's just say for now that the market that is available to a god is, you know, higher end market rather than lower end. Obviously, in China, there's a tremendous amount of interest from all multinational and local brands and domestic brands to access the luxury market and the higher end market because it's growing so quickly and there's, they have so much clout and, and, and so much uh, capital behind them. Is there a, a specific way that you're you're breaking into that market? Are you partnering up with any other guys or are you just trying to do it all organic right now? Um, I think most of the players are doing it organically. The ones who are using actually online marketing through you know, Baidu or their own uh, websites, they spend quite a bit of money doing it. But in fact, for Chinese patients, 80% of all patients are through, are through referrals. So right. Western clinics who get these patients, you know, 80% of them are through pa- you know, friends of other patients. Right. So it's basically being able to uh, you know, weather the market to be to be around long enough to be known to mm-hmm. earn the trust of patients and really to kind of uh, you know utilize that word of mouth later on down the line. Right, right. So no, no not a not easy market. Cool. Um, so Todd, I wanted to ask you again back to the the demo day. Huge success, obviously. But when we define success in, in something like this, it's not just the vibe that you bring to it, not how much people enjoyed it or how much free coffee there was or the after party. How many of of the companies uh, in the batch? Um, had good conversations with investors and are going to be, you know, pushing things forward from from there. I mean, I know that's probably an initial conversation, so maybe even at this point, two weeks later, there's not too much that's been ironed out, but how good were the the conversations afterwards? 
Well, I wasn't a part of them, uh, but uh, from what I've gathered from uh, from post uh, chats with, with a lot of people, uh, I think there were you know five or six. We had nine uh, for reference uh, pitch at Demo Day. Right. Um, we had ten enter the program, um, and then we had nine. Um, we can talk about later what what tends to happen sometimes in the middle of the program where where teams flame out or there's co-founder issues. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, I mean, there's, there's probably five or six that are going to be receiving some initial funding right. now, of course, how much depends on where they're at and what they're looking for. A lot of stuff, yeah. you know, so, I mean, you know, somebody with a robust system and, uh, quite a few founders and, and their needs to scale are, are a lot more cash intense. So they are raising more money. Um, others are actually taking a bit of a different approach because they see that in maybe six, seven months down the road, they could actually have a much higher valuation. They just want to do a couple more things mm -hmm. to just get in a bit of a better position. So they don't want to give away too much of the farm right now and raising some money early. They would almost just like a bit of a bridge financing to get to the next seven and nine months out. And then do a big raise because their valuation and their their numbers are going to be much much better. Right. So they can do a bigger valuation, um, potentially get much much more money for the same equity delivery, uh, you know, as they would now. So um, they all have very very different approaches. But uh, you know, we had a lot of really good VCs um, in the in the audience. It was actually kind of funny because Armin Zahn um, from Silicon Valley Bank came over and gave me a big congratulations and everything and whatnot. And I said, it's, uh, thanks, but uh, we haven't actually started yet. <laughs> it's about 15 <laughs> minutes to show. And he says, no, no, no. He's like, I know a lot of the people in this audience and I know who they are and I know the firms they work for and I know the checks they can write. So, well done. you know, this is already a big success. And right. so, um, so that was cool. So, um, you know, there were some very, very good, very meaningful conversations. And, you know, it's so interesting to see right afterwards and the VCs kind of scatter off to, to go run and talk to their favorites. And, you know, I, I must have talked to a dozen of them uh, at different times. Uh, and, they, you know, just the, them saying, well, you know, this was my favorite. This was, And they all had completely different favorites. And it depends what kind of space. I mean, a lot of these funds kind of say, well, this year we're going to get into clean tech and travel or we're going to be in health and education. Right. Or, you know, where they, they just kind of have their their spaces that they want to concentrate on. So different, you know, the different startups kind of, uh, if they, if they meet that, uh, uh, then they, they get chased pretty hard. So, right. Right. Um, you know, uh, you know, people out there who should know who haven't raised money before it takes, I would say at least three months before you're going to see any money. So know that going into any kind of, um, raising venture where you're, you're going to start the process and go through the vetting and start knocking on doors. And you, you, you know, even if you have a term sheet, you're still probably two to three months away from actually receiving cash. Right. So bear that in mind. So it is going to take some time and, and it, it's, it's a, it's a balancing act. So you get one, you know, you're always looking for that lead investor, the one who's going to actually take a board position, mm -hmm. who's going to negotiate the terms. Um, and then the, the passive investors who are, or are just going to, you know, let the lead dictate how the term sheet ends up uh, and, and, and how the process goes and, and, and all the, all the details and the numbers uh, involved. So, you know, you, you know, you, you get one and then that one attracts maybe one other, and then you get another one that comes in 
uh, and then based on, on whoever you have at the table, then maybe one of them will up and then another one ups. And, you know, eventually you kind of, you're putting some people at the table and they're discussing, they, they're looking across the table, who else is involved in the round, uh, and then they up their amounts. And eventually you, you kind of, you know, massage it all together so that you eventually reach, you know, the number that you're, that you're looking for. And, um, you know, it's always better to be oversubscribed than undersubscribed. So you get a lot of suitors and, and it'd be great if you actually had to turn some VCs down. Right. Now, Mike, you obviously you're going through this process right now, and and as Todd was mentioning, I'd like to get your take. Some people, even in their demo uh, two weeks ago, they kind of uh, outlined some of their terms or portions of their term sheet. Whereas you took the approach, you're not going to uh, you know present numbers or outline a commitment that you're trying to get. You want people to be on board with the passion and the purpose behind the project that that you're working on, but. I wanted to ask you, when you come out of a program like that, if you do have good conversations with investors, how do you determine how much you should give away, what valuation you're at, what kind of investors you should take on board, and a hundred other questions that are involved in actually confidently engaging in an investor and taking one on board that it's not going to stifle you down the road, but it's going to give you enough to, you know, to keep the train going. Um, and just all the things around that. I'm sure you, there's mentors throughout the program that can give you you know, give you pointers and really help a lot with that. But how do you, you know, what's it like trying to f- select an investor, presuming you have the luxury of, of actually, you know, being, having that problem? You know, what, what's it like trying to figure out how much you should give away and, and every, all the other decisions involved in that? Well, it's, it's very, very tough, especially for someone who doesn't come from that, from that startup background, which mm-hmm. is why being part of China Accelerator was so great, mm-hmm. because you've got all these other teams around you who are going through the same thing. And you have access to people who can give you advice. And they their advice may differ from the other mentor, but at least you have a frame of reference. And you can kind of bounce ideas off of people. Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, it's very important that I, I work with somebody who gets what I'm doing, not just someone who wants a return 36 months later. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's not, that's not what I'm in this for. Um, and the fear also is that if I take on someone who kind of doesn't get it, they can – adversely influence uh, you know the, the direction of, of the company right Mis- misaligned so. incentives yes thank you yeah. and, and and how I mean how do you go about that process I mean do you leverage the resources that China accelerator provides and books and magazine articles and everything you can find to try to figure out like what that ideal partner is um, yeah I mean it's uh, you know the, the books of course is always uh, a good place to start you should actually probably read as much as you can before you start any accelerator. Uh, but once you get in, uh, using using the advisor uh, network there, the people actually who give the presentations, uh, pinging them with the questions uh, that you have, and you should have those. You should have those questions written out, mm-hmm. uh, or at least in the back of your head. Um, and then once you get that, kind of check in with your with your colleagues, with other teammates, to see where they're at and how they're dealing with the issue. And th- this actually taught back to what you said earlier through the application process, right? So. This is something that first-time entrepreneurs will encounter and it'll be fresh. You know, that even if they're getting great mentorship, they'll still be wondering, should I trust this guy? I mean, I don't know if he's giving me right advice. Where, you know, what's his bias? Is he working for the other team or whatever? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you see on an application for an accelerator that someone's been through, you know, uh, three startups already, and this is something we talked about last week on the program with, uh, with Tony, and that, you know, fail often, fail better. And in this community, it's kind of one of the, thing that, one of the things that's... Um, you know, nice about it, maybe why people are drawn to it a bit is because failure isn't 
considered a, a negative thing. You know, it's just considered a bump in the road. And the next time you, you give it a crack, you're going to have more confidence in every step you make. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at applications, is that a huge component of, of whether or not you take people on, like someone fresh with a good idea and a good team versus, wow, this guy's been, you know, for the last six years, he's had two or three different startups and yeah. now he's back. Absolutely. Um yeah, there's there there's just uh, uh, an experiential um, knowledge uh, having gone through you know battle you mm-hmm. know they're just battle tested and uh, you know for entrepreneurs um, you know the the scar tissue uh, from from battle turns into their armor and just makes them so much more tough and uh, they That's also such a nice metaphor well done <laughs> their their speed of engagement is is greatly heightened mm-hmm. uh, which. Um, I, I really notice a difference between the entrepreneurs who have been there, done that uh, once or twice before, even unsuccessfully, still are so much faster and more efficient at uh, engaging mentors right away, be, being able to make quick decisions, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's pivoting or, or just directional or hiring or whatever it is. Um, they're just so much faster. They can glean um, so much more mission-critical stuff towards what they're building uh, and being able to ignore the the white noise of everything else that's coming in to be able to concentrate. Um, they just know how to attack uh, with laser focus uh, much better. And, you know, and, and, and I mean, I, I'm all over that. I, I love, I mean, if you failed like five or six times, then, then, okay, maybe we actually need to look at why you just keep failing and mm-hmm. you don't seem to be able to be successful. But um, any investor will tell you that um, their favorite people to invest in are people that they invested in previously who failed, who are now doing something again right. and are coming back and knocking on their door again. Um, they're definitely in one because they kind of want to recoup the cost of the education, the entrepreneur <laughs> that they basically paid for right. uh, in the entrepreneur the first time around. Um, and second, because they just know that they're they're now investing in a much smarter person right? because they've been there. Cool. Yeah, I, I really have to agree with that. I mean, you know, it's it's you know, having gone through it and not even failed. I mean, there's no such thing as a failure, right? It's right. there. We, we've learned. Um, right. And so it's, uh, you, you can't, you can't win on first time go all the time. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's probably the exception again, rather than the rule. Right. True. Um, you know, give it, give it a few swings. Don't get discouraged. Keep going. And if you're tenacious and if you're smart about the lessons learned and about the mistakes that you made, eventually you'll be successful. Right. Yeah, yeah I mean, good advice. it's very true. I mean, especially for um, some of the guys that do win the first time, they're almost um, yeah, they're I, almost trouble. Yeah, I, well, I want to meet them. <laughs> yeah, well, and and the trouble with them is that you know um, they were born on third base and yet they think they hit a triple. Um, it's you know they just they got insanely lucky um, and the chips kind of fell their way. And they expect it to go like that every time. Mm-hmm. So um, there's an uncomfortable learning curve in front of them, right. uh, which I have to try and delicately walk them through the second time if they're in the program saying, you know, hey, guys, you know, this was all the work that you probably by right should have gone through the first time. Um, and now you're about to go through it. So uh, let me just warn you that uh, try and forget um, how easy things were before because it's uh, you simply got lucky. That's not the norm. Right. So whether, you know, as Michael was saying, failure is not... Not failure, you know. Failure is not final, it, you know, and you always have a chance to learn from it and go back. So whether you kind of front end load the failure and then hit your stride later, mm-hmm. or get lucky initially and then have to encounter those hurdles later, it's kind of unavoidable in this industry, right? Oh, absolutely. So both of you, you know, Mike, you're you're a participant in the, participant in the latest batch. 
Todd, you're the director. You mentioned uh, you had you started with ten, you finished with nine. Let's give the listeners an idea of what it's really like in the program for three months. I mean, it's all well and good to say it's fantastic. There's mentors and there's investors at the end, and it's all great, and we learn so much. But when you wake up every morning and you got to go into that place, and there's pe- personalities, competing personalities, some you like, some you don't like, a lot of stress, a lot of work. There's a timeline. What's it really like? I yeah. I gotta let Michael say this, but I'm just gonna preface it just a little bit in the beginning, just to say that um, there's everything. I, I, you know, and me, my role as director is is it's very operational. Very, uh, I, I'm a facilitator. Mm-hmm. I bring and I, I I manufacture little micro environments for people to um, engage, learn succeed fail whatever it is um i'm also a camp counselor uh i'm a relationship advisor therapist Mm -hmm. therapist Uh, therapist. Uh, a lot of times i mean i have to wear a lot of hats um because the the teams go through um just a a a shitload of stuff during the program so Mm -hmm. um michael can talk about his experience yeah you know i I really got to give it to, to todd it's like it's like trying to herd it's like trying to herd 20 cats you know, I can't imagine you got, you know, 20, 30 people, all fairly young, really energized, you know, really kind of open minded, independent by nature, which Very is why amped they up right, which is why they find themselves the there, you know, or what they perceive as their lives on the line. So much ambition, so many hopes. And you've got to you've got to try to rein it all in and have it running in, in unison together. So I yeah, I envy I, I don't envy the job that you have in front of you sometimes. Uh, but yeah. Mike, why don't you tell us what it's what it's really like as a participant? Um, it is a crucible. Uh, again, I, and I go back to the, the kind of boot camp basic training. You're, you're thrown into an environment where you've got all different things, a, whole, a ton of different stuff coming at you. Mm. You have your own aspirations and your own uh, career goals as well as your personal goals. For instance, the kind of life that you want to you know, mold for yourself. Do you want to bring your dog to work? You know, are flip-flops at work really that important to you? Or is it more important to you to figure out how you're going to work with your co-founder? Mm-hmm. Uh, and for you, for you guys to agree on, you know, equity sharing, on the strategy of the company, and then the actual execution of the tactics, how do you deal with uh, the mentors that are, you know, that are useful? And, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you fold advisors and mentor into your, into your equity sharing agreements? How do you politely say no to other advisors? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you figure out uh, what you don't know? How do you figure out what you do know and what you're good at so you can focus on that? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a good exercise because, you know, if you can survive in that environment and if you can come out of it uh, with, with, with lessons learned and still willing to go forward – I think that's a great experience for yeah. a person. Yeah, must be a huge asset just in terms of personal development. If nothing else, if, a- if something absolutely. doesn't happen with the company. Yeah. Um, but what about those people that drop out? I mean, what's the, the common cause for dropping out? You don't have to name names, of course, but why? You know, what happens? I, I think often they either um, the 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 market dictates they they weren't able to to penetrate, um, uh, and uh, it just turns out that um, they just couldn't get there. Um, now, sometimes that's due to a shift in in the market or the economics or the landscape mm-hmm. uh, on the whole. You know, you're working on a uh, a ride sharing app or maybe a, a taxi sharing, a sharing app or something like this or a taxi call app like a DD Dutcher or something like this yep. um, before DD Dutcher or when it was here. And you're, you're trying to do it, but you want to do something a little bit different. You want to get maybe a specialized car or something and then shabam. Uber comes to China. Right. You're done. Mm-hmm. You're done. And it's over. 
you know, <laughs> next. Um, and, and that can happen. Um, you know, even if you're trying to do something in an Airbnb or, or something else. Um, so those market shifts and things, it's, which is why speed is, is, is incredibly important. Right. Because things can change on a dime. So you need to go fast and, and, and go through. And it, does that make the selection process harder with every batch? Because there are more larger companies out there doing so many more things that you know well, you, you get really. ideas that have but already they been done create opportunities they create markets they're mm-hmm. creating niches they're creating technologies they're expanding um, the the idea of what's possible mm-hmm. uh, so so as much as they're entering the market um, you know they're just they're just raising the level of the water and 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 it's becoming a bigger birth of, of, of potential and possibilities. So, right. um, I, I think it's, I think it's great. Uh, you know, welcome everybody to come in because they're all teaching us something and they all have, you know, different customer acquisition strategies or, or, or monetization strategies or things. And people are getting very, very creative in, in, in how they're doing this with their, with their apps or their web portals or their platforms as a service or whatever it is. And, and so it's actually, you know, giving you more and more options and, and, and new ideas and it's, it's spawning off, you know, spinoffs of all kinds of different things. So, right. uh, it's, it's actually really really great. Right. So so back to the program a bit for a sec. How do you, you know, and I'll ask you both this personally afterwards, but just as, as you, Todd, as the director, how do you keep not only cohesion in, in, in the group and I keep everyone on point and on the same page and, and moving forward, how do you how do you guys let off steam? You know, how do you get them to kind of just take a chill pill and let off the, the gas pedal for a second? And I mean, not too long, of course, but how do you kind of Remember that you know life is short, and uh, you, you got to enjoy yourself in addition to striving to, get, to achieve great things. You know, you know one. I don't know. Uh, Michael can talk about this after his experience with it because his was um, a very personal story, and, and because his his company's name is Agata, and we go alphabetical order. So so Mike Mike unfortunately had to pretty much uh, forge the path um, for 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 everything that we did because Agata was always up first. Um, you, what do you mean you go alphabetical like, order? Like we, like at the team name. Oh okay. Yeah, so when so, you do events with the whole well no program. but like for for meetings um for uh oh. so 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 what we do is on friday afternoons uh we try and you know like it's like a it's like an it's a no tech zone mm-hmm. uh, for the most part so around 3 three thirty, we gather all together and uh the first thing up is status checks so everybody kind of talks open and honestly about where they at what what's happened over the last seven days um and then uh we try to help as an entire group we have you. You know, you've got nine, ten minutes in front of us, mm-hmm. um, and our undivided attention to ask us questions. Whether we're looking at a logo, or or you're kind of surveying us for 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 responses, or or you're asking us for introductions, or or you know to reach out into our network for something, whatever it is. Um, we just kind of dive in to see how can we, as a collective group, give you feedback or give you some sort of help on on where you're at and what you're doing, uh, and then we hope that you would in turn deliver us a learning that you. Um, that you've one of the learnings you've had over the last seven days um, in, in whatever area you, you want. So all the teams go through that. Then we take a quick break and we come back and we do founder stories. And this is a really cool thing. So we usually kick this up about 5 p.m. on Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, we stock the fridge full of beers, um, which is pretty much always stocked full of beers for awesome, the program. Yeah. Uh, it has to be. I mean, sure. The, uh, uh, we're going to get beers in here for the podcast coming up pretty soon, too. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, then, and then we all sit down. And actually, the founders are actually responsible for providing some alcohol. Uh, usually, it's something traditional or native or just their favorite, something that, that means 
something. And they do a 30-minute, individually 30 minutes, um, on their, their life. And we want to see, and it's, and it's all picture-driven, um, the less text, the better. And we just want to see pictures of them growing up, where they're from, uh, their family, um, and things that they did when they were younger. Everything that has impacted them and helped shape and mold them, uh, who they are today, um, we want we want to see it all. We want to hear all your stories. And some people get extremely personal and talk about all the very deep personal stuff that they've gone through. Other people keep it a little more light and fun and just funny pictures of them drinking and falling down and you know throwing up on themselves or whatever. I mean, you know, they they you know different personalities go different direction. But it's 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 nice uh, because obviously that drinking for you know an hour an hour and a half leads into Friday night more drinking usually, um, which kind of propagates a, a letting off of. Stuff going through that but right. it also is a great grounding and it makes everybody real and and we all get to know everybody in the program very very well and very deep um and i i think it's just a a really great kind of uh lightning rod that brings together the whole at the end of the week everybody gets grounded so do people in the program mike you can speak to this a bit i mean do you come out of it with a bunch more really close friends i mean do you, do you have the ability to and time to form those relationships there yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know, over over ninety days, you're you know, you're, you're kind of nut to butt with these guys. Right. You kind of get you know, can't get them out of your face, um, and you so you do come away with some very very strong bonds. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to go back to that. It doesn't come without a price. Uh, personality conflicts, especially between co-founders. Mm-hmm. Are you going to get pissed off your co-founder? Absolutely, you will. It's going to happen. There's going to be conflict. Um, there was not a single team that didn't have an argument throughout the process. Uh, and I think it speaks volumes to the program that so many teams actually came through and mm-hmm. and, and stuck stuck together as a team. Um, so just I guess a word of advice to anyone who's looking to do a startup: understand that 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 personal interaction is going to be something that you really need to actively manage and to and anticipate this conflict and to learn how to manage that properly so that you can both hit that mutually beneficial goal down mm-hmm. the line. Um, and yeah, I think it's very important, uh, and I, I mean, it's a little bit of not really tooting my own horn, but at least the structure of, of how this was built, um, because you have to have, in my opinion, somebody like me who's there day to day, driving everything forward and putting everything together, together with Sophia, who's who's you know uh, my 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 partner in crime, mm-hmm. um, and and then just to be there to help kind of I don't know uh, mediate um, sometimes and some things and help help bring people together um, it's just one of the many thousands of differences between an accelerator and an incubator mm-hmm. um, it's just uh, you have to understand that the pressure you put these guys under you now have to take responsibility for that and you have to be there and I mean there was a lot of occasions where I'm staying late coming in weekends early mornings late night calls uh, all kinds of stuff um, just kind of dealing and, and kind of calming everybody down and reassuring everybody that, it, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint, even mm-hmm. though the program seems like a sprint, uh, and to just uh, take it day by day and, and keep the bigger picture. Yeah, I can't imagine what that's like. I mean, just like we've we've already said, there's just so much at stake. People are so motivated. There's so much ambition there. There's so many conflicting personalities. It must be really a challenge. And again, yeah, credit to Todd and China Accelerator to be able to bring that all together and actually come out with nine people on, on a demo day. Nine, nine, nine teams. Nine teams and over 18, oh, sorry, 18 nine, egos. Right, right, so, right. Yeah. 
Yeah, amazing. Um, so, guys, we're coming up around the end of the show, but I ask, I always ask a question to the guys sitting in this chair or these chairs. Um, and, Todd, I'll hit you with it first because I'm going to make yours a little more specific. I always ask people what's three piece of, pieces of advice that they could give to the audience uh, just in general, but obviously we're talking about tech and startup here. So, Todd, I was wondering, for people that are going to be applying to China Accelerator over the next month or two, um, you know, three pieces of advice, maybe beyond what we've we've talked about today, and it could even be personal, but what would you, you know, how would you, what, what kind of advice would you give them to prepare them for success in, in getting into the program and success in the program? Well... Uh, success getting into the program. Um, it's amazing how much uh, passion and persistence, um, how far that can go, and how much, how many other potential, uh, you know, uh, things that you don't have, whatever the word I'm looking for is for that, that that is missing. Um, how much that can overcome it. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, I want the purpose. I mean, it's the very first thing I'll ask anybody. Just why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Where did this come from? How did you meet your founders? How did you come up with this solution? What What is the, the pain point? Uh, you know, tell me the pain point you're trying to solve and why is it so fucking important to you? Right. Like that, that is just, that is immensely um, important to so me. So you don't just want to hear, I have a great idea and a great team. You want to hear my entire family's been affected by it. Everybody's got a great idea. Everybody right. can make their team look good. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see how effective you actually are in the program right. uh, because there's a, so many more variables to, to come. But um, if you all have that like deep down desire and passion uh, to do this, um, we just know you're going to fight. Mm-hmm. You're just you're going to fight, you're going to stick with it and you're going to go for it and that you're purpose driven, not profit driven, you know, meaning that you just want to accomplish an overarching goal. Um, you know, and this would kind of lead into my second piece of advice, which would just be um, the purpose driven, not profit driven. Um, don't bring your ego um uh, about what you think the solution should look like into the program. Leave that out of it. You just you're only goal is to solve the problem right however it looks however it works however it acts in whatever form it might be you're just happy that it exists Mm -hmm. because that's the only goal that you have you don't come in with these all these ideas of how it's going to look and how it's going to work and you know how you're going to onboard people and because guess what the only thing that i know with 100 certainty is that you're wrong Right. Okay. It's not going to work. And, and the market and everybody's going to start beating the shit out of you and that idea. And the, the, the closer, the more attached you are to it, the harder it's going to be for you to let go mm-hmm. and just let yourself ride the wave, um, which you just have to do. You're just letting, opening it up. I'm the guy that's going to solve the problem. And then you just go to the market and you tell me what is it, you know, how is it going to look? How do you want it? You just tell me I'll build it. Right. And that's all. Okay. Third piece? Third piece of advice coming to the program. Um, don't uh, try not to try to leave your distractions at the door. Um, if you're trying to do some sort of part time work on the side or you're trying to balance uh, some other things that are going on, uh, make sure that you're life ready um, coming into the program. Right. Uh, because 
you know, it's just it's just too difficult. Um, you you need to move to Shanghai. Uh, you need to set up shop here for at least the three months of the program. You and your co-founder, you both need to be in house, and you both need to be there, ready to work, and a hundred percent dedicated to just do it for three months. Go back and start trying to balance and, and juggle all those balls later. But for at least the three months of the program, give it a hundred percent effort, um, right. and you know, give it the old college try. Um, just make sure that that there's nothing distracting you because it seems like nothing, and it's exponentially um, going to get in your way right. uh, during the program. Cool, good advice. And how about you, Mike? I'm actually going to say a lot of things that that echo what Todd just said. Um, Personally, for me, if you want to get into entrepreneurship, do something that you care about that you can do every morning that you wake up. Because you know what, you're going to be stuck with that, and mm-hmm. you better like doing it. If you don't like doing it, you're going to burn out. You're going to drop it. You're going to fail. Um, the other thing is, even before you set out on the whole entrepreneurial uh, path, read, read, read as much as you can about. Uh, not just your domain, but actually about entrepreneurship and startups. Uh, talk to as many people as you can who could give you information or knowledge about the problem that you're working on in order to prepare yourself mm-hmm. uh, for the undertaking. Um, and lastly, the third thing is, please, test, 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 test your idea. Um, you will save yourself time and money and grief and, um, and emotional drama. Test early, test often, um, make sure that there's traction there before you dive into something. Otherwise, you're just going to waste a lot of time and money. Right. And that kind of echoes what Todd was saying in that, you know, don't come with your solution, come with the problem, let the testing, let the market dictate what the solution is ultimately going to be, right? Yeah. You know, and this is a piece of advice that gets that, that gets put out there a lot, but a lot of people for some reason just don't follow it. Yeah. And me being one of them. I, I mean, I can see how easy it is to get attached to that idea, that initial spark, you know, they said, this is going to be it. This is the next whatever. And, you, you know, you just you want that you want to make that happen. And I think, you know, Todd, you, you probably see this all the time, but you've got to kind of force people to like let go of that. Like you said, check your ego at the door and just focus on that damn problem mm-hmm. and then let the market tell you how to figure because that out. Because people, when they're building something, they don't want to go out and, and have people say bad things about it. Right, right. You know, it's like I've been working on this for like a month and I don't want people <laughs> to say bad things about it. So I'm just going to keep doing it and then release it. It's like, that is so absolutely the wrong way if you don't give a shit about what it looks like it's like i just want to solve the problem the best way possible for as many people as possible then it's like okay i i made this it's 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 got one viable feature it's just one thing well here it is what do you think and then okay so i mean and i i always like talking about the iphone because i thought that was probably one of the greatest examples of of just you know releasing something you know uh, far too early um but just to get customer feedback and start growing an organic customer base that's that starts to grow up with the product Uh which is also a great customer acquisition strategy Mm -hmm. um and then just release it and I mean, you know, Apple comes out with a phone. Everybody goes, what the fuck are you doing? This is awful. It's a terrible product. It does nothing right. And what are you doing in phones anyway? Get the hell out of the business. And then they come up with the iPhone 2. And it's like they made some improvements. Why? Because everybody told them how horrible it was. And they just went, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then took all that advice and just put it in. I actually put it into the iPhone 3 because iPhone 2 was already getting ready to be released after iPhone 1 was made anyway. But, you know, and then the iPhone 3GS, iPhone 3S and the 3GS comes out. And all of a sudden, this is a damn market leader all of a sudden sudden right and how did that happen so fast strictly because they kept releasing crappy products and just waiting for the feedback yeah yeah they've done all right apple yeah with the <laughs> yeah, iphone yeah kind of yeah so basically iterate and iterate and get feedback and keep doing that until you you know because you don't care you get what it looks like or how it works you only care that people like using it and we, lots of people will use it right cool uh guys any clothing clothing <laughs> 
closing thoughts? No clothing in here. This is a <laughs> podcast. Uh, Mike, where can people get a hold of you or Agata? Um, you know, should uh, they wish to? www.agata.co. Cool. And Todd, if they want to learn more about the accelerator, possibly apply for the next batch. Yeah, chinaaccelerator.com. Um, and then there's there's tabs for about and FAQs and apply. All the other information. Yeah. Cool. And if you want to hear from us guys at Tech in Shanghai on Twitter, website coming soon. Thank you very much for tuning in, and uh, we'll speak to you next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Tech in Shanghai podcast. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Tech in Shanghai for everything tech from Shanghai and China. See you next time.